Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your mobile GPS app to be able to check out all of your mapping, save your waypoints. You can use that in the field or at home on your computer. And within the Onyx Hunt app, one of the features I want to talk about is sharing a waypoint. So you can, after you mark a waypoint on a map, whether you're physically there and marking your location, or if you're scouting from afar and you're marking the waypoint, you can share that with your friends and family to say it's a rendezvous point where you're going to meet to park the vehicles, or you have a, a buck down and you need some help for someone to come in. It's a very useful tool to be able to do that. And say you don't want to share that waypoint with them anymore, you can pull that, you can de- delete it or remove their access, and it'll remove it from their account. So it's a, it's a pretty nice win-win on that side. If you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, head over to onyxmaps.com. And if you use the coupon code EMW, that'll save yourself 20% off of the Onyx Hunt app. University of Elk Hunting online course. So Corey Jacobson and Team at Elk 101 has put together the most comprehensive and complete resource for increasing your elk hunting knowledge, confidence, and success. I truly believe a lot of, well, most of the knowledge that I gained um, was from this course for my elk hunting, trying to reduce that learning curve. It was super helpful to have all that information in one place to be able to do that. And you get access to the entire course for one year. So that's all the different modules and also the UEH mobile app, which you can put all the content from the online course right in the palm of your hand, anytime, anywhere with or without internet or cellular connection. So if you want to check out the University of Elk Hunting online course, head over to elk101.com and use the coupon code East meets West. That'll save yourself 20% off of the online membership and tethered. So Tethered is a company that saw a need in this in the saddle hunting community. You know, it's a very small community of people within the bigger hunting space, but it's growing in popularity and for good reason. So Tethered has really taken, you know, something that just the gear was lacking in that in the innovation and they took that by designing, engineering and producing the most mobile stealthy and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet i mean i was super skeptical going into my first year last year trying out the saddle and i'm a really big believer in it and after being able to use it just from being so lightweight and mobile but in addition to that it's it's not just that so I've, i had actually a couple people ask questions being like oh i understand it's mobile but you know is it comfortable well, I sat a full week straight in at dark to dark sits and never felt any more uncomfortable than I would in a tree stand. So you can adjust it so many different ways and and places to be able to change, you know, where the stress points are and make sure you're comfortable. So in my opinion, I think it's uh, just as comfortable as any tree stand. And honestly, the, the shot angles with it, everything else just makes sense. So uh, I, I definitely would recommend if you tried it out that you practice with it quite a bit because it is different and um i so this year this summer i'm planning on 
well, have been practicing with it even more, shooting out of it, just going up and down the tree with it. It's really, it's really a great tool when you, when you know how to use it. So if you want to learn more about saddle hunting and tethered lightweight products, head over to tetherednation.com to check that out. All right. So on today's episode, I want to start off by going through the Mountain Buck Monday post brought to you on Tuesday from Jordan Hollinsworth. And Jordan wrote in on November 9th, 2019, I was still hunting my way to an area. I plan on hunting for the first sit in this particular piece of public land. Before I could get to where I planned to hunt, I saw a deer trotting towards me from 50 yards away and could tell it was a mature deer with a large rack. When the buck was behind a large deadfall, I shouldered my muzzleloader and waited for him to present me with a shot. He stepped outside stepped out broadside excuse me stopped and i shot him at 130 i think being mobile and changing it up was what what i was doing helped me harvest this giant whitetail on public land in southwest virginia this is the biggest deer of my life and i can say that it has changed the game for me i've been following your podcast and youtube videos and you present a ton of great information well thanks for that jordan and honestly this buck might be the biggest one that's been sent in so far. This deer is an absolute giant Virginia mountain buck. I mean, just an absolute tank. I'll have the photos over on uh, Instagram and Facebook so you can check those out. But man, is that unbelievable. And just such, such a cool story, Jordan. So if you have your own story, send it over to me and uh, we'll get you featured on the Mountain Buck Mondays a series over on social media and then share it with you on Tuesday on the podcast. So what I've been up to here lately is um, besides a lot of work around the, around the house, I've been getting my new bow set up. So I got the prime black three. I don't know if I've actually even mentioned that on the podcast, but I got the new prime black three in and, and I just got it a few weeks ago and getting some of the components set up. I, Put in, I put on my hamski. I put a hamski rest on it, and I really love the limb-driven design. Ever since I I got my first hamski last year, thing is is just so simple to set up, and it takes minutes rather than needing a bow press to you know tie it into your string and do everything else with the the previous rest that I had been using. It's just really simple. So really liking that that hamski hunter uh, rest, and then. Also, trying out the Garmin, the Zero A1i bow sight. So, the range-finding bow sight. Uh, another item that uh, is, seems to be kind of the trend with me is is I'm super skeptical on something, and I just kind of wait it out and look at it from the shadows for a couple of years before finally deciding to give it a try. And so, this bow sight is range-finding. Um, I was extremely my first impressions are it's a lot lighter than i expected um it's still aluminum mounting bracket and everything um then looks like a polymer out on the edge of it there but uh super simple to set up it didn't take me very long to to figure it out and um really i'm really liking it so far i'm i'm uh like you said i'm just gonna keep playing with it and and seeing them you know and and see what you know, what it's capable of really. And I've used a, you know, a spot hog slider for the last double pin site for the last, I don't know, six or seven years, I think. And so this is completely new to me, 
But um, with me hunting Alaska, Pennsylvania, and possible probably Ohio this year, it's legal in all those states. So you have to pay attention to that where like places like Idaho, where I hunted elk last year, you can't use that. So that's uh, kind of my, you know, some of my reasoning for trying it out. And basically I always have two bows set up to, you know, if I'm going to hunt an area that, that doesn't allow it, but I'm telling you what, I think this, this is really going to be um, a game changer for me with, from the standpoint of, uh, you know, like when you're in the whitetail woods and, and especially the big woods, you get such small windows and short gaps of, you know, deer coming through. They're not going to follow a trail. They're not, you, you can't, you can try ranging things ahead of time, but th- I think this just really would help, um, get the accurate range, you know, it, and then put an ethical shot on it. Um, so there's, you know, people have different opinions each way on this site and, and really, you know, electronics and, and advancements like that in the industry. But the way I look at it is if it makes it more lethal with it, I'm all for trying it out. So we will see with time how, uh, how that progresses and keep people updated on, you know, how, how that works out. But, um, yeah, so doing that and hopefully get some more arrow shot down range, trying out some new arrows this year too. Uh, the company's called vector. They're a small company out of Michigan, make a really bulletproof arrow, small diameter, but thick, uh, thick sidewalls on it. I mean, the things are just bulletproof. I've loved my gold tips over the years. Um, but just trying something different as you see, kind of is the trend with me. I like to try out different gear. There's certain things I have that I just don't like to change. And there's others that I, uh, every once in a while will switch up, but we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But, um, on today's episode, I have, Clint Casper coming on. So Clint is coming back on once again. And today we're talking about mule deer, which is something I haven't talked about a whole lot on the podcast. So really excited about it. And uh, as always, it's entertaining. I think you'll uh, enjoy this one with Clint. Thanks for listening. All right. Welcome back. Another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. I am lucky enough to be looking across the computer screen here at my great looking buddy from uh from eastern ohio clint casper what's up buddy i'm glad you you added that in there great looking i thought you were going to say great friend but you went with great looking that's even better more points more more points in your corner you're you're working up towards my number one boyfriend you're you're in top three right now i've been i've been working for that spot now for like four years so it's it's been tough you have you know You've started from the bottom. Now you're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a lot better to. Well, I'd rather be doing these in person with you. But when we're doing the Skype thing now, my internet's finally fast enough where I can like actually see you and do the video as you're sitting in your truck. It looks like, and yep. uh, the typical Clint yeah, Casper. Actually, <laughs> yeah, typical. Yeah, I actually got uh, bought a freaking mic, a snowball deal that I was pumped about, and cannot get my computer to connect to my wi-fi and then to connect the snowball so yeah needless to say i'm back to doing it the old school clint way and the truck works pretty nice um yeah it is what it is you do i'll get it figured out i'll get it figured out you do everything from the truck and your phone i've realized your life kind of runs off those couple things like you write all your articles off of that we've talked about it and christian and i always hammer you on it you literally type in your notes your entire (laughs) articles which is amazing yeah um, yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I think 
I've only written one um, that I can think of. Maybe two for sake of argument. One for sure, maybe two out of the, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm probably pushing the 45, 50 mark published. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty heavily sided uh, phone versus computer. That's pretty heavily sided to the phone, but uh, <laughs> it works. It just works for me, Bo. It works for me. Works hey, for I, me. I'm not judging. That's that's awesome that you're able to do that. And but it's uh, it, like I said, it's just Clint Casper fashion. So Clint, you've uh, you might be my most the person I've had on more than anybody, and that's because guys like I I don't mean to keep bringing him on, but if you got like the amount of like times he bothers me on things about getting on then you'd understand it like you just got to shut him up <laughs> and uh get him on no but this this one this episode um where we're gonna really i really want to dive into mule deer and stuff with you which is a topic i've really haven't discussed a whole lot you and i have talked about um you know our journeys with um mule deer and elk and you know that whole process but we, I've never really dived into like a, a tactic side of thing with it and just kind of, you know, you, I guess I, I'm not going to tell your story for you. Explain kind of Clint, your, your background with, um, hunting mule deer, high, hunting high country mule deer. And like, just like coming from Ohio, your process with that. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, man, just kind of fell in love with the thought of it. Probably. I don't know. I mean, grew up here in Ohio and hunt all over the Midwest for whitetails and turkeys. And, um, I don't know. I just, I kind of wanted to like, I guess, extend my season or I should say start my bow seasons earlier. So I was just like, man, I should like hunt, you know, what, sh- what could I hunt that's like early that starts in August, September and gets rocking early. You know, I'm always looking for a way to like hunt more or stretch my season out. So the, uh, yeah, the mule deer thing kind of popped up and, um, didn't really know a whole lot about it 10, even like 10 years ago. I mean, I, I knew, you know, a little bit about it, but not a lot. Um, just kind of started diving into it, looking at it. And it's kind of one of those things where I thought in my head, I'm either going to like fall in love with this and get obsessed with it, or I'm not going to like it at all. That's typically how I do things. I'm either you know, I go all in and it's either I go all in and I love it or I go all in and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to ever do that again. And, uh, just, yeah, typical Clint fashion, yeah. I'm sure is what you're, what you're thinking right now. <laughs> you know me, you know me pretty well, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, mule deer for me was just such a different game. Um, I've been bow only for going on probably 10 years now, nine years, 10 years, something like that. So it was all about, um, high country early season. I wanted to hunt velvet. Um, I just thought the adventure and kind of like the, the romanticized mystique that's around, like, especially high country mule deer, uh, is something that I'd really like. I love adventure and I love, um, you know, I, I, I've grown to love the grind on stuff. Um, stuff that's easy typically isn't kind of my jam. I, I'm, I'm more into the, the, the stuff that either damn near kills me or it, it takes me forever to like figure out or, I don't know that that chess match of learning how to hunt a new species on the other end of the country um, with different tactics because out there it's glassing spot and stalk here in Ohio or the Midwest you know we're hunting whitetails and tree stands and blinds and you're not you know it's just a totally different game so that's kind of what got me intrigued was just kind of all that combined um, 
And, the, and before I even hold on, Clint, hold on. And the fact that like you were so intrigued about it when you hunt whitetails in Ohio with, you know, the, the biggest corn piles possible, you can't put them out there in, in Colorado that's right. and stuff. So like, this yes. is, that's another adventure for you. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because I mean, it is, it's extremely simple to kill big bucks. All you do is just put a corn pile down and they'll come running. Uh, my hardest, I mean, realistically, the hardest thing I have to do is figure out on this very day, do I want to shoot this 179 or would I be better off to shoot the 168? Both are giants, but the one, you know, frame to frame, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty simple. Whereas the, the thing, I'm not, I'm not allowed to do that. Yeah. So the gold pile of corn just means that giant deer come in daylight, they throw caution to the wind and that just means, yeah. you know, just come on in. Yes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> absolutely. You know, I uh, I always just to give you guys a background. It's kind of an inside joke, but um, you know, the joke about, you know, oh, if, if you can bait in the state how that makes it easy and Clint's like, actually I avoid it because it makes it harder most of the time. Oh. I, <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, not to not 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 to get into the baiting thing. Yeah. I'm not I'm not against it or for it. I'm whatever, you know, however you want to do it is fine, but um <laughs> all I'll say is when you've got a farm or a piece of public or a piece of ground that has 28 corn piles around it, it is definitely making it very hard to find unpressured and uneducated deer. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But hey, more, more power to those who are doing it and those that are doing it the correct way. And I wish more people would have a rhyme and a reason for how they do it and, and when they do it. And um, not just the old fashioned theory of throw down 200 pounds and sit over it for 10 days straight and magically a giant will appear. Cause I hate to break the news, but that is not how it works. But anyway, <laughs> all right, that's all right. for another, that's, that's for another day. <laughs> all right. All right. Back, back on mule deer, Clint. So, you know, the, the, the mystique that you're talking about with, with the mule deer and stuff, like, I don't know if there's a, you know, a hunt at least that I know of in the lower 48 that really puts you in more beautiful place. Like when you're hunting high country mule deer, you are literally like in a, in a, a bass screensaver for a computer at all times. Like it's just, you're in some really badass looking places, which is also very, um, difficult to get to those places and the other struggles that, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about, but so keep, keep going with kind of your, your, you know, getting into the, the mule deer th side of things. Yeah. I mean, definitely it's, um, bow hunting mule deer has taken me to places that, you know, a guy would never go. I mean, there's, there's really no other reason unless you're going to go hunt mule deer up there or mountain goats or sheep or something, um, to ever be up there, which is really cool. I mean, um, yeah, there's people that might hike there or go rock climb there or something, but in the grand scheme of things, the average person's never going to go into those places unless there's a rhyme or a reason. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and that kind of ties in again, a whole nother level to this hunting is, um, the being in shape factor. I mean, it's not, it's not just something that I can, Oh, Hey, it's a month before uh, I leave for Colorado. I'm going to start running and start working out. I mean, it's a lifestyle. If you want a mule deer hunt high country, um, and you're going to go do it solo. Like I do 90% of the time, uh, where you're relying on your skills and you know, your mindset and what your, you know, physical, um, we'll say like, uh, your physical appearances or, or for lack of a better term, not even appearance, but just what your physical state is at the moment. 
it all rides on you. And that's something that I have to work on basically year around. I mean, you know, from watching what I eat to kind of how I'm working out or what I'm doing and making sure I'm getting things done in the gym or, or even just outside, you know, weighted pack hikes and, you know, box jumps. I mean, just, you know, things that are going to constantly help me because I can't prepare for elevation. Uh, disclaimer, everyone's going to say, oh, just put one of the masks on. I'm going to tell you right now, I've been there and done that. That is not that. <laughs> I mean, it might help a little bit, but trust me, you can walk around for three years with a mask on to try which, to mask. Which we are dude. currently, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no pun intended. Actually, we've been doing that, but yeah, it's not. Um, that that will not mimic the thin air and what it feels like at thirteen, fourteen thousand feet. Um, it just <laughs> won't. So you, you know, so so that was something else that I really like too. Is it's it's kind of a lifestyle change. You know, if you want to get good at this and you want to be good, the better shape and the the more the, the more tough you are mentally and physically, the better. So, I mean, that was two things too, that really struck me. That was like fun and intriguing is it's a different mindset and it's a different kind of, um, lifestyle that you've got to sort of like walk the line on if you want to go do this stuff. Cause it's really no fun to hike in 10 or 11 miles in Colorado, put your camp at 13,000 and hunt at 14,000 for seven or eight days. If you're absolutely dead every day, by nine o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's already a super tough, super challenging hunt to begin with. And then throw in the factor of not being in good physical and mental shape. And realistically, you won't make it very long. Um, I've used the phrase uh, on other podcasts and, and just talking to people in person. I tell people all the time, I hope I don't romanticize mule deer hunting because I mean, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. But it's one of those things where in flat out, like, if you don't really, really want to f and kill a mule deer, it's probably not a hunt that you should honestly do because there's a lot of suck and pain and suffering that goes into it before you ever even get there, let alone when you do get there. But the sights and the things you'll see, the experiences, I mean, I think about that every day. And I mean, honestly, that's what I'm obsessed with. And probably that probably won't change. If you told me I could only hunt one animal right now with my bow the rest of my life, I'll take high country muleys. Hands down, no questions asked. I don't even need to think about it. Huh? That's uh, that's it's interesting, and and the whole the whole idea of what you said is like with not romanticizing it. That's a very good point. Like it, there is it is a beautiful beautiful country, and I've never I've never focused on high country mule deer. I've never had a tag for it, but I've hunted elk in in and around those areas, and I've got to see them kind of mule deer work through the high country and stuff. They live in some fucking bad places, like some really. Oh, yeah some really gnarly places as um you know as we get later into the story about your deer we'll talk about that but like it's it's not going to you know it's not an easy thing from you know the, the sounds of it from you and really backcountry hunting in general is you have to really want it uh it's oh, not yeah. it's it's definitely you know not as it's portrayed in video form that you watch on YouTube and stuff it's there's a lot of suffering that goes into it and I'm not that's also not trying to stray anybody away from it that's you know never done it before I think you know it could open up a whole nother world to you but just just understand that I guess going into it that it's not necessarily a vacation no I mean it's definitely something that I think if guys don't have the time or energy or the passion to invest into it, it's honestly something that I would say don't even bother doing it because it's it's gonna 
it's it's one of those hunts and it's one of those deals where like i said it's like a lifestyle more so than it's just okay i'm gonna get ready for this hunt um a couple months prior and then i'm gonna do the hunt and then that is what it is um if that's your mindset and that's kind of where you're at chances are it's probably not going to be a real great experience and you know it's probably something that you're going to wish you either weren't doing once you're there on about day three or you're going to suffer it out and literally be like yeah i'm never going to do that again which i don't want anyone to have to go through either one of those two you know examples but yeah it's definitely the reality of it um you know i think a lot of people look at the mule deer videos and i mean and there's some awesome awesome stuff out there um and I think people see the sights and they're like, oh man, it'd be awesome to be on top of the world and, and, and be back there. But you also don't see the seven hours that it took to get the eight or nine miles back. You know, you don't see the hands and knees crawling or the sliding on your ass foot by foot to get down some of the rock shoots or get up some of the rock face. I mean, you know, there, there's just a lot of stuff that you're not seeing all of that, that I think some people kind of are like oh well yeah you know we'll get through that because it's on the other end of the rainbow it's it's awesome and it is awesome don't get me wrong and i love all the grind that goes into it but it's not for everybody i mean i'll i'll you know i'll just flat out say it it's not for everybody i mean that style of hunt um and i'm not even talking the solo thing i mean just mule deer hunting with a buddy in general it's it's that's not for 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 everybody, you know, and the, the solo thing definitely isn't for everybody. And that's kind of what I've fallen in love with is that kind of part of it. But yeah, it's one of those things that I think once you get into it, and once you get the ball rolling, you, you will fall in love with it. It's just, you got to make sure you got the right kind of mindset for it. Yeah. And, and you, um, so you've been, what it took is four years of hunting high country mule deer. Cause it lined up the same with the same timeline as me and my elk. You and I went yep. back and forth on it and just the, the yep. learning and, you know, failures and all the stuff that came to you hit that success. And I think that's a good, you know, point too, is the fact that like the success in this, as with anything, it it takes time and it's going to take, you know, as we're going to talk about, you know, the scouting portion of it, how you're, you know, breaking down an area, but like, that wasn't something that one, anybody knows, knows everything about, you know, everyone has their own strategies with it, but it's something that you developed, over time and, uh, you know, with years of struggle with. Yeah. I hunted four different units, um, in Colorado and this year will be my fifth one. I've never hunted the same unit. Um, there's kind of two schools of thought to that. Find a unit that's like over the counter and hunt it and keep hunting it till you figure it out. Or you can hunt different units and continue to just kind of build your forte. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. I, my, my plan was to save points to get into the unit that I actually got in last year. It was going to take me three or four years. So I was hunting second choice units or basically, you know, units that are damn near over the counter. Um, so I could build points, but I still wanted to have a mule deer tag. I wanted, I think if you want to get good at elk hunting, you got to fucking hunt elk. If you want to get good at mule deer hunting, you need to freaking hunt mule deer. Um, saving points is great. Um, it's awesome to have nine, 10, 12 points in your pocket. But if you've never hunted mule deer, if you've never hunted elk, you've never hunted antelope, but you've got this sweet tag. Now what? I mean, just because you've got all these points doesn't really honestly mean anything besides you're going to get 
to toss a couple hundred bucks down, you know, down the drain and you've now got a tag, but then what? So my plan was I wanted to hunt. I wanted to hunt different units. They're all a little bit different. Um, they all take, you know, um, kind of a different mindset, a different game plan. And each year I wanted to build off of what I previously learned in a, a unit and took it to the next unit. And I thought that that would be the best way for me to honestly get good at figuring out where mule deer live, what they're doing, how to kill them. Um, and that was kind of where it all started. You know, the first year to recap it, you know, I mean, I got into deer. Um, I had a few days out of that eight day span where I didn't see any deer. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of an up and down roller coaster. I took away from that hunt. I needed to be in better shape. I thought I was in good shape. Um, here at home, I would have said I was in great shape out there. The training I did and kind of my, I guess the mental toughness edge that I had, it wasn't sharp enough. Um, there was a lot of days where I was dead by midday. Just lost connection with Clint, so I had to call him back on the phone because uh, the rural farm boy apparently just can't can't hold the connection out there. What's going on, Clint? Uh, I don't know. I think I spilled. I mean, it's 11 o'clock, so I've already started drinking. My bush light spilled, and I went on my phone, and then that short-circuited me out. But we're back up and running now. Thankfully, I only lost about a half an ounce of beer, so okay. it wasn't a total catastrophe. Okay, good. That's that's what I was worried about. But um, So where, where you were at, you were talking about the, the struggle of um, basically how the, the four-year journey and as you kind of like what you were yep. going through with that with a having trouble with it from the physical fitness side of things and the kind of the mental side. So dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So, so yeah, just, just to recap where I was at the first year I took away, I found deer, um, my scouting and stuff. I, I was pretty solid. I'd say half the spots that I was looking at produced deer. The other half didn't, um, you know, which it is what it is. I mean, you've got to hunt mule deer where mule deer are. Um, you can't hunt mule deer where you think they are. So you've got to kind of be able to, to plan on the fly. Um, going into year two was a lot, lot better shape uh, mentally and physically. Um, I trained differently to get more, to get my body used to more stress. I did a lot of um, like short burst workouts. I did a lot of, uh, like long distance stuff. So it, it wasn't just a focus on one. I tried to really mix in a lot to, to kind of like be real well-rounded on just my endurance and the amount of stress that my body could take in a day and be able to recover. I really focused on, you know, doing a lot of different things, a lot of band workouts, um, a lot of heavy pack stuff, a lot of just having my pack on and hiking with 50, 60 pounds. Some days I'd run 80, um, you know, I just tried to put my body through everything I could. Second year, um, got into a lot of deer right off the rip, found a really good buck. Um, he was living way up high in a bunch of rock cliffs. And I ran into kind of my next major challenge with mule deer hunting and that's navigating stocks and basically just navigating kind of what's killable, what's not killable, what's in a spot that uh, makes sense to go make a play and what's in, what's in a spot that I need to sit on it for a couple of days and wait for a buck to put himself in a better position. Uh, I screwed up on that buck three times, um, never got back to full draw, but got within a hundred yards three times, um, twice thermals killed me, um, kind of rushed my, uh, rushed my game plan a little bit. Um, should have sat 
on my stock for another few hours and made sure the thermals were absolutely going to be rising steadily and not kind of just drifting and hovering around like they were. Um, so patience was kind of a virtue there, something I, I really had to kind of take into consideration too. Um, but after that second year, I really said, okay, I, I need to get better at using my glass and taking a picture with my phone and mapping these stocks out and really having a detailed plan with the time frames of what the wind's doing, what the thermals are going to do. Um, so that was kind of, a, I guess, more in the details of the stock. Going into the third year, um, was going to hunt a really, really steep, rugged unit. Knew it was going to test me pretty hard. Um, not a ton of mule deer compared to the other two units that I was in, but I knew there were some really, really good bucks um, that had been killed, and, and I've had a few buddies that have hunted it. So I knew it was going to be a different challenge for me. Um, probably wouldn't see as many deer, probably wouldn't get as many stocks as I had been getting the previous years, but I was now going to start to match wits with probably an, an older age class of bucks, and that's exactly what I found. I got in on a, a buck that was probably a seven, eight-year-old deer on the third day, um, he was probably, you know, for all the inch, the, uh, the inches junkies, he was probably, you know, uh, a 190 to 200 inch, uh, mainframe with some inlines and some kickers and stuff. I mean, just a, you know, just, just a giant, um, rolled the dice and stayed six or seven days, um, after I found him and played the game, um, learned a lot about how, you know, the older age class mule deer, what they do. Um, it was kind of funny once he realized that he was being hunted, uh, once he realized he was being hunted, I actually bumped him one day on a stock. Um, I kicked a rock on accident. It rolled. And in the high country, if you kick a pebble and it starts to roll, you can cause, you know, uh, a daggone little mini avalanche to take uh, a rock freaking avalanche to take place. So that's exactly what happened. Um, my rock started rolling and busted up a few more rocks. And before you knew it, I had a half of a freaking mountainside. It seemed like rolling down. So he split off. He split off from the group he was with. He completely went, you know, into solo land. Um, took me a few days to find him. He moved up into the rocks, like completely into the rocks, just made it absolutely almost unbearable, you know, to even live up there and stay up there and try to find him from day to day. So at that point, you know, I felt like, um, you know, I was, I was at the point now where I, I had enough kind of knowledge and skill to play the game with big mule deer, but it was just kind of one of those monkeys I was going to have to get off my back. I mean, I had been so close. I actually got the full draw on him second to the last day, 70 yards, um, feeding, and he ended up turning and walking away, directly away, and that was it. I mean, just never, never gave me a look. Um, tried to get back on him the next few days and he was just in spots that there was just absolutely no way it was even feasible. Um, so, you know, at this point we're going into year four. Um, I've drawn my bow back. I've never actually shot an arrow on a mule deer yet. I've, I've been close. Um, I've got in on some bruisers. Uh, I've taken my lumps. I've drove out there by myself and home, uh, four, well, three different times now. So we're at, um, a lot of hours, a lot of miles, a lot of time. Um, and I just really felt like, you know, that fourth year I drew the unit that I really wanted to get into, use my points. Um, just felt like it was all going to come together. You know, I just, I, I had 
gotten my ass kicked for three years, but I had learned a lot. I had changed a lot. I've, I evolved, um, as a spot and stock mule deer guy, just, you know, everything from my gear to my mindset, to like the athletic ability that I had possessed pre, you know, previously till now, um, you know, just my skill set in general had, had, had definitely shifted from a whitetail guy over to, you know, kind of the, the out west spot and stock glass guy. So that was kind of my, um, I guess you could say kind of my, my journey of, uh, we'll say getting my ass kicked, but learning all bundled into, to one, uh, one mixed drink. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And that's, I think that that's the best way that you could, um, explain that journey without, without taking, you know, 10 days to explain it because there's, I know there's so many details that go within that. And that was a good, good recap of it. And what, so in that, in that journey, um, and again, I, we will get into the actual hunt itself of when you were, you know, successful, but talk about what you've learned and what you do now, as far as from a scouting portion, like how are you from the point of choosing a unit? Let's start with choosing a unit and then I'll, we'll dive in that. So how- yeah, so I mean, I've I typically um, I love the early season hunts. Um, I love I love chasing velvet. I love the high country. Um, to me, it those hunts um, kind of encompass everything I'm looking for. It's it's beautiful. It's rugged. It's steep. It's you're you're living in the gnarliest of the gnar. Um, you know, it, it's if you do your homework and you get in the right spots you'll, you'll be able to get lots of stocks and make lots of plays. Um, you'll get to see a lot of deer, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, those hunts are, you kind of get out what you put in. So I typically am looking for high country units, um, you know, Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho, some of Montana, um, you know, Utah, that's kind of, you know, typically where I'm always at early, um, this will be my fifth year in Colorado. It's hard for me to leave Colorado. Um, just so many high country units, so many good, de- you know, just good deer populations, lot, lot, you know, the qualities there, the quantities there. Um, for me, when I start looking at units though, I mean, I, you know, it, it's taken me a long time to kind of look at and figure out what looks like a, for lack of a better term, a, like a mule deer looking spot. Yeah. Um, you know, I love the the steep, rugged, the, the high country basins with the sparse timber patches and the, you know, the little basins and meadows down below. And then you've got the steep rock rims up above and, you know, they've, they've got shade, they've got water, they've got steep, rugged terrain that they can go hide in. You know, they've got the little hidey hole basins, they've got timber patches. That stuff is conducive for a bow hunter. You know, you can slip in from above when the thermals are in your face midday and you can work your way down and make plays. Um, you know, it's hard to hunt mule deer once you get down below into, you know, like the timber line and stuff, because now they're living in big patches of timber. And I mean, it's, it's really hard to make a play and kill a buck that's kind of out in the open against a rock that you can see the whole time, let alone if you're trying to sneak your way through the timber, you know, a buck's in there but you're not exactly sure where he's at. I mean, that, that's a whole nother challenge and makes it a thousand times harder in my opinion. So my first thing is, like I said, I'm looking for these units that have a lot of high country. That's what I like to hunt. Um, 
I think it's the funnest stuff to hunt. And, and that's kind of what I'm looking at. Um, you know, Onyx and Google, you can really pick these units apart and really kind of look for that habitat. I mean, I love the north south facing slopes. I mean, you know, kind of the old school adage is, you know, they bed in the shade on the north, they feed in the open slope in the south, which that does hold true. But honestly, I mean, you know, I killed my buck last year in Colorado on an east on an east facer. Um and he spent almost all of his time on that east facing slope. Um a little bit on the north, but hardly any ever on the south. So I mean there again it's kind of you got to be where the deer are, but that is something to keep in mind. Um a lot I typically like units that you know don't have a ton of access all over the place. Um Nowadays, I don't think there's really any hidey hole secret spots with the way social media and the world is. I mean, back in the day, there were spots in Idaho and Colorado and different places, Wyoming, where people just didn't really know they even existed and they were honey hole gems. Today's world, it's not so much. So I honestly try to look at those overlooked spots or I try to get in you know, really deep and, and try to get in really far to where the average guy's just not going to be. I mean, I think a lot of mule deer hunting, especially on public land comes down to basically you've got to want it more than the average guy. And you've got to be willing to put forth more effort in than the average guy. And if you can do that, you'll get back into deer that the average person isn't going to find, or it just isn't going to want to stay in there very long for. So that's kind of the two like schools of thought there is overlooked spots that people are walking by, or you just decide to lace your boots up and tighten up your pack straps and freaking go in super deep and, and really try to, you know, cut the distance um, between the next closest camp and your camp um, in hopes that you're just getting into deer that they're not going to put forth the effort to get into. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, Clint, but it kind of seems like, you are focused more on getting as far as finding the right area, like what it looks like more than like, say the statistics of the area. Like, you know, Colorado has big deer in probably every unit. So like you're focusing on what, what experience you want or what train you're looking to hunt those type of things rather than the specifics of a unit from a trophy potential or anything else, because you know, Colorado has big deer, a potential for big deer anywhere. Yep. I mean, you know, I've hunted zero point units and, and been on 190, 200 inch deer that guys with six, seven points and other units would shoot all day long. Um, I think your difference is, is you've got more tags and more pressure in those lower point units. Um, you probably have less of those giant caliber bucks because there's more bucks and more deer being killed there, but you're still going to have big deer on the mountain. Um, and for me, you know, like I said, I want to hunt mule deer every year. I love it. Um, if I can hunt a unit, um, that's a, a zero or one point unit and I can get in it and I can have an opportunity to chase around some, you know, big old mature mountain bucks, um, versus I've got to wait three or four years to draw this one unit. That's got more of those bucks in it. Honestly, I'd rather hunt every year. That's just, you know, I love to bow hunt. Um, I love to be in that element. I feel like I was honestly like born to hunt mule deer in the high country. It's just, I just love it. And so that's kind of my, my train of thought is, you know, I from experience now kind of know what I like and, and have a pretty decent grasp. Um, by no means is it a great grasp, but it's a decent grasp on what mule deer like. 
you know, I can kind of look at Google Earth or Onyx now and see, oh, okay, there's subalpine willows up here in this high country basin. Well, I know from experience that's a huge part of mule deer's diet. If you can find the subalpine willows, you're going to run into mule deer. So, you know, for example, if I'm looking at a, a unit and I'm looking at a spot that's seven miles back in and it's in some gnarly country and there's not a lot of water close by, so that deters people. It's pretty far from a trailhead, six, seven miles, we'll say. That deters a lot of people. We've got subalpine willows. Um, and we've got a ton of kind of sparse, you know, timber patches and, and the rock rims. I mean, it's everything that I need to see is right there. I'm going to mark that on, you know, my map and I'm going to put that in the back of my mind as there will be deer there. Can I guarantee there's going to be a, a 200 inch buck there? No, I can't guarantee you that, but I can guarantee you there will be mature bucks somewhere there, um, that I'll be more than happy to go hunt. And that's kind of where I'm at is, you know, uh, I guess you could say it's kind of to, to quote me, I want to chase mule deer. I don't want to chase points. That's, that's kind of where I'm at with the, you know, uh, the point system. I mean, I put in for points and some States where it takes two or three, um, and that's, it just is what it is. You know, that's just what you've got to do. But the States that I can hunt every year, your Idaho's, your Colorado's, some of the Utah tags. Oh man, I'm all over it. I mean, that's just, like I said, I want to chase mule deer, not, not chase the point system. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a good quote there. I'm glad, uh, glad you brought that up, Clint, you know, you, every once in a while you come up with something decent, but you know, and that's such a good thing, yeah, you know, thanks, thanks, <laughs> but you know, wanting to ch- thanks, chase, you know, mule deer, cause like, like you said, that's, that's so true. And you know, if you build up all these points for it and you never hunt a, hunt them, then, you know, I thought that way with elk is my process. You know, I hunted over the yep. counter and now I have some points built up. Like next year, I should be able to draw a pretty good tag in Montana and some other places. And I've had experience now that, you know, that that'll help me in that journey because I've already screwed up enough times when it wasn't as high, uh, I guess, high priority if, for lack of better terms. You know. Yep. No, I mean, and absolutely. And I mean, you know, you can relate to it with whitetails. You can relate to it with elk. Um, and, you know, I can relate to it with whitetails. I mean, I can remember first going out of state to hunt public for whitetails, Kentucky and Illinois and uh, even Pennsylvania. I mean, it was a huge learning curve. Um, and the more I did it, the better I got. But it took screwing up on a lot of good deer. Um, and a lot of days of not seeing deer and having to go back to the maps and, and having to figure out, um, you know, where to go now, what to do now, kind of how to stay mentally in the game. I mean, all, all that build up to the point where now it's like, I've, I've got the confidence and, and, you know, when it comes right down to it, I know if I keep grinding, I'm going to be able to make it happen sooner or later. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. And I think that's important for guys that, that dive into this is, you know, if you want to go hunt mule deer and or elk or, or anything and you're traveling seven, eight, nine, ten states away, you know, you've got to have that mindset and that mental edge of, you know, I, I'll figure it out. Uh, whatever happens, I'm going to figure it out and make the best of it and it's going to happen tomorrow. Or once I get up over that next saddle, my shot opportunity is going to be there or you know, I'm going to find this buck I've been looking for this afternoon while I'm glassing. And then the game's going to be back on again. And, you know, I, I just think you've got to mentally keep yourself in it and you're going to get your ass kicked. And, and more times than not, you're going to come up empty handed. But 
man, oh man, when you do get to stand on top of the mountain after you just put a perfectly placed arrow through a big buck or a big bull, I mean, me and you both know from experience last year, we finally got to experience that. There's, there's really truly nothing better that I've experienced besides my two kids being born. I mean, honestly, running that arrow through that, that mule deer buck yeah. at 13,800 feet last year was honestly the, the, the greatest thing I've ever experienced outside of my kid being born. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. Yeah. That's, that's, that is, yeah, that, that experience I can relate to it, obviously, you know, and it's funny because, um, you know, you and I both, I think we were, you know, in the, one of the first couple calls was to each other because we were so, oh, yeah. like, we were so pumped yep. going into it and like helped keep each other in the, the positive mindset going into the season about it. And yep. we, we both said like, we weren't, this, we weren't stopping that that year I was not going to be eating my elk tag. And you said the same thing about your mule deer. Um, so let's, let's break down that hunt. I want to hear, you know, the story of the hunt, but like, as you're telling the story, Clint kind of break down some of the, the things of it, or, you know, just recap it with some things that, you know, went right based off of your scouting and lessons learned that made this hunt all come together. So explain that a little bit. Yeah, so going into this hunt, it was a unit that I had been wanting to get into. Um, three points, you know, basically guaranteed me in. Two points, it was a shot in the dark. So um, I didn't draw it that second year. Um, you know, at that point, I had had two. The third year then going in, you know, I gained another point. So after that third year, I thought, well, coming into my fourth year, I'm going to have my three points. And according to, like, go hunt, it was 100%. So... I kind of already had my eggs in that basket um, and, and really had honestly been looking at this unit for years. And it was kind of one of those, one of those deals where I had so many plans, um, backup plans. And I think that's something that probably should have been touched on earlier by myself. And I just kind of looked over, but having not just a plan A, plan B, but having a plan A, B, C, D, E, F, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but honestly, you know, you could pull up to a trailhead that kind of encompasses your plans A through C and there's a hundred rigs and horse trailers and, and, and guys with hunting stickers all over their trucks. And like, you know, there's 60 people up through there. You just lost your first three plans now because chances are you're probably in a spot that everybody else is in. So now it's like, well, do you want to waste your time or do you go now back down the list? Um, so that's something that I really wanted to focus on is I wanted to have a, a, a enough plans for this unit to where I was never going to waste days. Um, there was a couple different ways that a guy could access this unit. So I had plans for a couple different access points. I always drive. Typically, most of these solo bow hunts, I always drive. I like having my rig. Um, I like being able to have everything in my truck. Um, so I kind of had a plan of attack from like a north, south, east, west of this unit. Um, I wanted to really be able to focus on trying to get away from people. It's a steep unit. Um, there's, a, there's some 14ers there, a lot of 13ers. There's a lot of deep backcountry in it. Um, so my thought process basically was I wanted to, in this unit, kind of get away um, from that average buffer zone. And for me, that average buffer zone is that like, we'll say one to three, one to four mile range. It seems like a lot of guys typically don't stray too far past that, you know, three to five mile range from their truck. 
Um, so I wanted to get in some spots right away that were, that were really deep. Um, I got into about the eight and a half mile mark and found a couple really good spots with water and, and kind of from the maps and everything, it looked like there was going to be plenty of water there. So I wanted to camp close by and kind of start right there. Um, and that little basin was actually the, my kind of my plan a on, on my map study going into that hunt, um, was able to get in there and took me most of the day. Um, a lot of elevation. I think I camped, I was camped right at around like 13, three. Um, I was down off of a, a big saddle, which was nice because I'm, I don't get, I'm not afraid of lions. I'm not afraid of bears. I honestly, I mean, realistically, like if that's how I go, it's how I go. Uh, one thing I am afraid of though, is I, I'm not a fan of lightning. Uh, I, I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. I've been caught in some wicked, um, hail and lightning storms. I've been caught out in the open in some really bad thunderstorms. Um, lightning scares the shit out of me. Colorado is super electric. Nevada is oh, super electric. Man. Um, those lightning storms are it, absolutely uh, like they scared the shit out of me when I was hunting elk up there. Yeah. Cause I was camped up on this ridge line, like right at tree line. And I'm glad I was in the trees but there was it gets so bad it feels like the lightning is like you're in it because you're basically in the clouds you're up so high and it's just it's a different experience that i've ever than i've ever seen so i, I understand what you're get what you're saying there yeah um i uh it, it's kind of one of those things where You don't want to run around the mountain scared, but when you see storms kind of rolling in, you're basically like, okay, yeah, it's, it's time to uh, kind of abort ship here, what I'm doing, and figure out a spot to hunker down, get down in the timber, um, get off the ridge lines. I don't camp up on top. I know there's lots of guys that, that will camp right on the ridge lines or camp right up over the saddles and stuff. I, I'm not one of them. I like being down in the timber a little bit. Um, you know, I, I like to try to stay away from that. So that was, you know, that was another thing um, that, you know, there again, going into this hunt, that unit, very, you know, very high, very steep, kind of had a, a game plan with where I was going to camp. And that was, that was one of the main reasons was I, I wanted to, to definitely be off the top. Um, got in there. It was pretty much exactly, exactly like how I thought it was going to be. You know, I had about a mile, mile and a half hike every morning to get up over a big saddle. And then from there, there was about four or five different basins I could look at. And just from the, my years of hunting out west, I've learned that if you can find, um, I'm going to use one of one of my good buddy, Brian Barney's um, terms from, he runs the podcast over at Easton's Elevated. I'm going to, I'm going to use one of his phrases, but if you can find the master vantage point um, that will unlock multiple basins or multiple glassing points from one location where all you've got to do is move your spotter and basically turn in a circle to continue to unlock and see a ton of country. If you can find those spots before you ever get there and kind of key in on those and start your glassing off there, I really feel like you're, you're way ahead of the game because I think a lot of times guys will set up on one vantage and they're looking at one slope or they're looking at, one or two basins and then they've got to move or then they've got to 
you know, okay, there's no deer here. So now we got to dive off the mountain, scramble, get down over, you know, spend an hour or two. If you can find those master vantage points that unlock a ton of country where you can sit on them for three, four hours and never look at the same piece, um, your odds are definitely going to go up. And, and I really focused on finding those vantage points first and then basing my where I'm going to camp, um, how I'm going to come in, how far, what I'm going to do kind of off those vantage points. And I felt like that was going to be my best plan to, uh, I guess, utilize my time and utilize my energy right off the rip the best. I wanted just to see, okay, what's this unit hold? What, what are we looking at? How many deer? How big? I mean, I, I was assuming I would see a lot of deer. I was assuming there would be good quality. But like I said, I've never stepped foot in it. I'm doing all e-scouting. So that was my plan was find those master vantage points and use that kind of as my foothold to base off where I'm going to camp and where I'm going to start my hunt. And um, in previous years past, I had never done that. But that third year, uh, just from hunting with Brian and, and talking to Brian a lot, I've learned a lot from Brian. And I mean, that's something he really, truly keys in on a lot. And, and if you talk to any big time mule deer guy that's, that's successful, um, you're going to hear them talk about those vantage points. And like Brian calls them, the, the master vantage point, you'll hear that come up. Um, so that was kind of where it all started, Bo, was finding those spots and then kind of working, I guess, back from those master glassing points on where I'm going to camp and what I'm going to do. And that was kind of my plan for the first few days was, was get in that first area and just see what I could see. Mm -hmm. And so explain, all right. So once you got there and you're at that master vantage point, what did, what did the, I guess, what did the story look like from there? Um, as far as, you know, did you find deer right away? Did, what, what did that look like? Yeah. So I got in there, took me about all day that night was able to scramble up, up on top. Um, I didn't get clear over to the master vantage point, but I got up on the first little spine, kind of like a, a finger ridge with a, with a, a big spine that ran north and south coming off of it. I got up there and, um, man, found two good bucks and a bachelor group of five, um, in that, in that group was two really good bucks, um, right off the rip. So I had pretty high hopes, you know, I, I was like, all right, well, that's a really good sign. Saw four or five does, a couple of little, you know, some, some yearlings and stuff. And, a uh, bunch of elk. Um, the uh, it was it, it was a really cool spot because there was a lot of killable country um, stuff that I thought I could navigate and I could actually, you know, make plays and and have success in. And then on the flip side, though, there was a few spots in that unit that I kind of had in the back of my mind were man, I don't know. You know, they're they're pretty rocky. They're pretty dicey. Um, so in the back of my mind, I was kind of flirting with the edge of disaster on some of the spots because I was like, man, I really want to see what's in some of these spots, but I don't want to waste time, and I'm not really sure if I could navigate them or not because, I mean, some of that stuff was pretty gnarly. Um, but I knew the spots that were going to be spots that I would call spots that were killable spots for deer to be in. Um, I was already finding deer in some of those spots that night. So I was definitely excited to kind of explore everything the next day and get up to that master vantage point. So the next morning I got up there, you know, probably a good 45 minutes before daylight, got all set up, um, got my morning, uh, got my morning instant coffee, um, on the old, uh, pocket rocket, got, got, got my water warmed up and got my coffee going and, uh, 
right at first light, man, um, it just kind of come alive. I think probably 70, 80% of the area that I looked at the next few hours had deer on it, had bucks on it. There was only a spot or two that I glassed that I didn't see deer. Um, like I said, ton of subalpine willows up there. And I mean, they were just all over it. You know, they absolutely love that. So I knew right then and there, like, you know, okay, if I'm just patient and I play my cards, this is, you know, this is what I've worked for. Um, the deer here, qualities here. I'd only seen one guy from the point of like five, six miles into where I was. So, I mean, you know, it wasn't like I was overrun with a bunch of people. Uh, the cards were kind of all stacked up to where it was going to, you know, hopefully work out for me. I just needed to find the right buck in the right place and, and make a play. Um, and it's kind of funny, you know, that spot in there, um, you know, there was a, there was a ton of elk in there, which, you know, there was part of me that, that was like, oh man, you know, I could have got an over the counter elk tag, but I was so focused on the mule. Deer, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I did. Yeah. But, uh, it, you know, it, it, it was funny. Uh, that spot kind of had it all. And, um, you know, I, I just, I really felt like I had the time. I think I blocked off two and a half weeks at work and pretty much told them, Hey, I'll be back when I kill a mule deer. And they just kind of looked at me and I'm like, no, seriously, like when I kill one, I'll come back. Uh, until then I'm just going to stay here. And I, you know, I mean, whether they believe me or not, that was truly my plan. So, you know, luckily it didn't take two and a half weeks. Um, you know, I, I got lucky and the second morning found the buck um, found a buck in a really killable spot, um, on a hillside that I, I was like, okay, you know, I can, I can make this work. Um, and it ended up being the buck that I killed, you know, a day later, but, um, it ended up all, you know, all kind of coming together and I didn't need all that time. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. When, when you spotted the, the buck, did you go right in for a stalk or did you kind of see what they were doing or what he was doing and like explain like what your process once you spotted that deer yeah so I, I was actually looking for the buck that i had found the first morning um he really caught my eye and i i stumbled upon this deer and he was uh i knew as soon as i put the spotter on him i knew i was looking at something that you know definitely was um a, probably you know i won't say once in a lifetime at least I hope not once in a lifetime, but at this point it was a, a, a once, you know, a one in a million buck for me. Um, he ended up being 32 and a half inside. I knew he was well over 30 inside. So that caught my attention right away and immediately was just like, Oh man, there's a giant. Um, he was with four other bucks and they were coming out of a basin. Uh, they were just feeding their way up. Um, looked like they were heading up into this big rock rim to kind of bed for the day. Um, I didn't think they'd go up over the top. They had no reason to. So I kind of made the judgment call right there. Okay, I'm going to slide off the master vantage. I'm going to get down around and get in closer, kind of get a better look at the situation, get a better feel for what's going on. Um, got over there and lo and behold, couldn't turn them up. Um, could not find them, could not find any of the bucks. Um, so I thought, okay, well, they were headed up. Um, when I left, they must've went over the top. I, I didn't know, I had not been up over that top yet. Um, <laughs> look at it on X maps. It looked like it was going to be on the edge of something that I might want to hunt versus not just because of how steep, 
and how rocky everything was. Um, I wasn't quite sure what I was really getting myself into there, but I kind of threw caution to the wind and was like, well, I've at least got to go up there and peek over that edge and, and see if I can locate him again. And then we'll, we'll figure it out from there. So about noon, I got up there, um, had the thermals and everything. By that time, working their way up, um, directionals and everything were, were starting to, you know, to rise up with, with the day warming up and everything. So got to a glassing point, started glassing, um, couldn't turn these bucks up, uh, found a few deer, but none of those five. And then, uh, lo and behold, I happened to look directly down below me probably, oh man, I don't know. It would have been probably a few hundred feet and I caught a buck on the edge of this rock rim bedded in the shade just laying flat on his on his side legs straight out i mean stiff as a board looked, looked like he was dead um but he was just laying there in the shade and i recognized him i'm like man that's one of the bucks that was with them it was a, a smaller framed four by four um but he had uh, almost like crabby claws at the end and I, I, I've seen him a bunch, you know, I, I recognized him right away. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, these bucks are here. They're close. So then I got, I moved where I could get kind of a different look at, at that. At, I actually moved kind of out and around, got further away, but now I was able to look kind of on the opposing hillside that they were on. So I, I could glass kind of into that hillside and holy shit, there they were, you know, they were a few hundred feet below me from where I was at. Um, luckily I didn't kick any rocks or do anything stupid up there, um, that would have alerted them, but I was like, oh man, you know, here they are. So I took my, my camera out, took a picture through my spotter, um, marked a dot on where the deer were, marked a dot on where he was, and then marked a dot on where I was at. So I wanted to use that as a reference, um, walking over there, I'll be honest. I was kind of, uh, I was a little nervous. I wasn't it wasn't a spot that I for sure was like, oh yeah, I can easily get down there, kill this buck and get out of there. It was more of a spot where I was like, I'm pretty sure I can get down to this buck safely, get him killed and get out. Um, the top of that peak was just a smidge under 14. They were going to be somewhere right around that 13.7, probably They're between 13.8 and 13.7 somewhere is where this kind of where they were at, tucked up in the shade. So I knew I was going to have to drop a few hundred feet um, you know, and it was going to kind of be one of those situations where once I got over there, I was just gonna have to make a judgment call as to where, if I thought my odds were stacked, uh, uh, against me or stacked with me, uh, got over there, got above them. Um, there was a rock kind of like a, so imagine like a rock shoot that starts at the top and it kind of like creviced its way all the way down. And once it ran out of real estate, there was nothing but open space between it the ending of that rock crevice and then this big giant boulder that they were all bedded against. Well, my thought was, okay, if I can get to the end of that, um, basically I'm going to be within a hundred yards for sure. Hopefully closer than that of these bucks. And then from there I can wait and see if they make a move. Maybe they feed towards me. Maybe they feed away from me. Maybe I get down there and they're only 70 yards and at, at 70 yards, I mean, I feel very confident in my abilities to make that happen. So I guess without really giving it a whole lot of thought, I thought, well, shit, Clint, you, you kind of need to go down there. I mean, th this could be the perfect entry to get down there because I was going to be hidden down in this rock crevice. Just, you know, like I said, it's like a big crack that ran down straight down this rock rim. 
So I was going to be hidden. My thermals would be sucking up that rock crevice. So I knew I wouldn't get seen. I knew I wouldn't get winded. Every now and again, I could peek my head up over, use my glass to check and make sure the bucks hadn't moved. Um, I, I, I just had to be really, really careful with, with making that movement kind of peeking up and over. But I thought if I'm slow and really deliberate on my moves, I'll be all right. That's what I did. Um, I started down kind of sp- – so I, I put my bow up over my back, like kind of hanging like off my neck. Um, so it was resting on my shoulders, and I started uh, – I left my pack behind, just took what I needed, um, had my bino harness with my rangefinder, my release, my wind checker is always on the side of my FHF gear harness. Um, put, uh, you know, um, I had my Garmin inReach on me and my cell phone, and, you know, that, that was pretty much about it. You know, I, that, I left everything else behind because I just, you know, I wanted to go in as quiet and light as I could. Started Spider-Man and down through there, got about halfway down, took a little break, peeked over the edge, and lo and behold, all these bucks are laying there. I mean, half of them are asleep. The other half's chewing their could. Nobody has any idea what's going on. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is it. Like <laughs> now at this point, I'm really starting to get into the zone. You know, I'm just like, holy shit. I mean, this, this might work. I mean, this is like, this is really looking good here. Um, so kind of at that moment, it sort of hit me like it had been four years and I'm, I'm really happy that I, I honestly kind of had this like hit me and like kind of in my head at this moment in time. I, I don't know why, but it was kind of almost like a, like not a flashback, but kind of like a, wow, you know, man, it's four years in the making right here. Like I remember kind of talking to myself, like, dude, soak this in, enjoy this. Like there's no reason to rush anything. Like, honestly, take a few breaks, like really enjoy what's happening right now. Like you've, you've worked your ass off to get to this moment this time, like you got everything in your favor, you got thermals in your face, you're hidden, take your time, you know, j- just make calculated moves, get down to the end of this rock crevice and, you know, let the buck make the last move to get himself killed. And, and it was kind of cool because it would have been cool to have a best, you know, have a best buddy like you with me or have my dad with me or have somebody with me. But it was honestly, I'm happy it was just me because I got to this whole journey has been just me and I got to soak in like, we'll call it quote unquote, the stock, um, all by myself, just me. And, you know, I, I remember catching myself just kind of looking around, looking at, looking at everything. Like, you know, you're so high up and there's all this amazing, beautiful country I'm looking at as I'm making this stock. And I remember just sitting there being like, man, like it just really honestly doesn't get any better than this. I mean, this is it. Like I'm, I'm living in a dream, something I've thought about for millions and millions of times over and over in my head. Like I'm in it right now. Uh, so it was really cool to, I'm glad that I slowed myself down and I actually soaked in every single second of what was going on. Cause typically I think I find myself getting aggressive and, um, uh, not that I'm careless, but I, I don't think there, there's times where I don't think I've stoked in those moments right before I'm about to release an arrow on stuff where, I went looking back. I wish I would have been on, on this time. I really soaked it all in, you know? So I got to the end of, uh, got to the end of that rock crevice and I'm, I'm clicking the boulder that they're all bedded on. And I'm, I'm clicking, you know, it's in the seventies, 74, 76. And I'm thinking, man, you know, this is, this is doable. Um, very steep angle. Um, I'm cutting yardage off, 
my, my range finder's cutting yardage off and it's, it's in the seventies. Um, so super steep. Um, he's bedded the way he's bedded. He's kind of rolled up to where the whole backside of his chest cavity is facing me. He's facing directly away. I mean, just an absolutely perfect scenario. Hardly any wind. Um, at this point, man, it, it was just a matter of me dialing the yardage, um, coming back to full draw and, and just doing my job, you know, let, letting the bow do its job and me do my job. And I, I honestly, I remember coming back to full draw and my last five or six bows, I've always, I write the word execute down my riser where I can see it. So when I'm at full draw, right to the side of where like my sight housing was, would be is my riser. And I, I write in bold black marker execute because at the end of the day, it comes down to that. And I know my skills and I, I know where I'm at. If I execute, when I bend the limbs back, shit will die. I it just, it will. I mean, I'm, I'm confident in that hundred percent, but when I don't execute is when things fall apart. And I remember coming back to full draw thinking, you know, this is it. Like nobody puts more pressure on you than you, you know, you've worked so hard for this, but right now execute a perfect shot. And it's, it's, it's this buck's dead. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. And I mean, it's probably the most calm I've ever been on a shot. That was honestly the most build up and the most highly anticipated maybe shot of my life just because of what all had went into it. But I, I was so calm, dude. It's like I had replayed that in my mind a million times, and I'm sure you probably felt the same with your elk. Like you just envisioned it and you've imagined it and you've dreamed about it so much that when I got the limbs bent and I got settled, I remember taking a breath and just slowly starting to push and pull my bow apart until the shot broke. And before I ever even saw the arrow hit, when the shot broke, I immediately just was like, oh, he's fucking smoked. Like it just, it just felt like, that's it, man. Like there, there it was like the missiles on its way. And I saw it buried down to the fletch. Um, he stood up, he's wobbling, he's leaking out both sides. Uh, just absolutely at sever, just absolutely ate him up. He takes about three steps. And at this point I'm knocking another arrow. Cause I'm like, Hey, if you want to stand there and let me run another one through you, that's fine. Like you're not getting out of this basin. So I'm getting ready to knock another arrow and all of a sudden, dude, he just falls. And I mean, barrel rolls and tumbles like 200 yards down to the bottom of the basin. I mean, one of the coolest things I've ever seen, but about midway down, I'm like, no velvet. No. Like I'm thinking, Oh my God. Like his, his, his antlers going to be destroyed. The velvet's going to be destroyed. Luckily there was only a little bit of velvet ripped. I don't know how, he did not break everything off or how he didn't destroy the velvet, but there was only a little bit ripped, but uh, yeah, man, it was just, that was a four year in the making thing of just me learning, me getting my ass kicked, me figuring it out um, from trial and error and from doing it wrong to figure out how to do it right. And it was just a, probably besides watching my kids kill their first buck or kill their first Turkey or like watching them start to have their first, I really don't know if there will ever be, we'll say, a kill that means more to me than that one outside of my kids' stuff just because uh, I know what I had to do to get to that point. And like I said, it was just uh, it was super special to be there 
in the high country by myself to take that all in and just, just finally be able to be like, man, shit, you know, I, I did it. I finally was able to, to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, that, that I can, like I said, I, I'm relating to that so much, uh, you know, in my own journey with the, the elk hunt, that, oh, that yeah. feeling and, and when that shot breaks and you know that it's going to hit the spot, yep. like you just, it's the best feeling like adrenaline rush times 20. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely nothing better. And I mean, you know, it's, I think everybody gets caught up in punching tags. It's all about the kill. And I mean, honestly, like that's what gets talked about, but truthfully it's a hunt like that. It really wasn't. I mean, it was more about me getting to that moment in time where I felt like, okay, I've done everything right. This is going to happen. Like there's not going to be any screw ups you've played your cards, right? You've, you've, you've put yourself in the position. Now it's easy. Now all you've got to do is make a shot that you've made in your backyard a million times, but it was getting to that point. It was finding a unit, finding a buck, picking out a stock, figuring out how to get it done. Just, just getting to that moment. Like I had chased that moment for so long. It was just cool to finally get there. And then be able to kind of soak it all in and take it all in. It was something that, like I said, it'll probably never be rivaled as far as my own accomplishments. I mean, that, that, that one's going to be pretty hard to ever top just because of what all actually took place to get there. So definitely. Uh, yeah, I, it, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty fun to type out that text on my inReach to send, uh, you know, my dad and you and Brian Barney and, you know, just good buddies all over the place that, that knew what all I had invested in this. It it was, uh, it was a pretty good feeling to send that, that text, uh, you know, big buck down with the exclamation marks. There was, uh, I definitely had waited a long time to send that one. Yeah. And dude, the, the call, when you called me, when you finally got service, you were in the midst of packing out. Well, not, not entirely. We can kind of tell that, that story, but, um, it, the, just hearing it in your voice, which at that time you were um, in a very bad place. From a, uh, you, uh, if you want to yeah. talk a little bit about the, the getting getting the deer out, that that's a whole other story in itself. But let's hear a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, being you know my my first first initial reaction is you know I got to go back up get my pack. Um, get down there with, with my kill kit. I got my tripod. I got my camera, um, you know, being a full-time writer over at Peterson's bow hunting and freelancing for some other publications, you know, immediately I'm thinking, man, I got to get down there and I want to get some pictures and I want to get that, get that cape off and get that meat, you know, and uh, get the meat inside some sacks and, and, you know, just, get it processed and get it off the mountain, you know, and get it in the shade, get it cooled. So that's kind of the, it's one of, you know, all that stuff's running through your mind. Um, so I get down there and I, I get the pictures and, and I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm getting him caped out and I'm getting him processed. And, you know, like I said, I'm solo. So you're doing all this by yourself, you know, and, and it gets to be about, you know, I don't know, six, seven o'clock, you know, it's starting to head towards the evening. And, um, I checked my phone, um, my weather on my inReach, and there was a big storm supposed to roll in that night around 11 o'clock. So I thought, okay, I thought, well, I've got time. Instead of killing myself and trying to go back up where I just come from, I think I can go out around this basin, 
wrap around a south facer and then slowly work my way back up to the top and then run this big spine clear out about three or four miles and get back to camp. Um, at this point, I was about 12 miles from my truck. I was about four miles from camp. Um, so that was my plan. Um, where I went wrong um, was I deviated from my original plan of going down one way, coming up one way, because I knew I got down it safe. I can come up it safe. You know, um, looking back, that was a good life lesson. Um, probably should not have deviated from a plan that I had already executed in daylight because it was dark when I was now going to start doing all this. And that's kind of where things got, got squirrely. So I had the buck loaded up, had all the meat loaded up, had the cape loaded up, um, got my bow in one hand. I'm heading out, get out around the basin. Um, by that time, it's almost dark. I get out there and what looked like something that I could navigate actually ended up turning into a bunch of scree, um, basically a bunch of old avalanche shoots. Just absolutely no way without ropes was I going to be able to cross it safely. Um, didn't matter whether I had a buck on my back or not. Um, it just, it, there was just, it, I was cliffed out basically for lack of a better term. Um, it's about nine o'clock now. So we're pretty much at dark. Um, now I'm kind of scrambling cause I've only got a few hours and I need to get out of this basin and get up to that top and get down over the other side before, um, the potential lightning storm hits. Um, so I decided I was just going to go straight up and over from where I was and just try to navigate it as I go. I got my headlamp on. I start up through, um, and I realized really quick that at that point in the day, I had been up since four in the morning. You know, we're now at nine at night. Um, I just honestly didn't have the gas in the tank to, to safely have all that weight on my back and get up out of there. So I thought, all right. Time is now of the essence. I need to get the hell out of here. I left the buck, left my bow, um, cape, took the meat, and, you know, so I cut half my weight in half. Um, I was able to use two hands now because I didn't have my bow. And I said, okay, I'm going to tuck this stuff away in the shade. I'm going to mark it on my maps, my onyx. I'll have to come back and get it. Not ideal, but, you know, I need to get the hell out of here because the storm's rolling in. So I start up through these rocks. Um, it's, it's a big rock rim, um, a lot of loose stuff, a lot of cliffs. Um, probably, you know, looking back, I mean, I, a guy could have maybe uh, rode it out in the basin, I guess, tucked up in the rocks. It, it crossed my mind to just ride it out there till morning and then figure it out, but Lack of food, lack of water, um, man, just the thought of riding out, you know, up there at 13.8, 13.9, the thought of trying to ride out a storm, you know, if I dropped way down into the timber, I was losing another seven, 800 foot of elevation. And I'm just, I'm just like, man, I just really want to get back to my camp. So that's kind of what I rolled with. Um, got about part way up. It was pretty sketchy. I was pretty much using both hands, both feet, kind of, I mean, acting like I was a rock climber that I'm definitely not. Um, I went to, to grab onto a, uh, an edge of this one cliff with my left hand and my right foot slipped. 
I caught myself as I was falling down and I got my body kind of turned to where I was actually sliding down on my ass and I was able to use my feet to kind of get me stopped. I wedged my right ankle in between two rocks, which stopped me, but you know, definitely rolled, rolled that ankle. I knew immediately uh, the thought crossed my mind. Did you break it? Did you roll it? Um, so immediately got it checked out, tore the whole ass out of my sick mountain pants, my base layer and my, and my, my boxers completely, <laughs> the sharp rocks completely shredded all that. So now I've got an ass cheek that's bleeding. I got an ankle that's tore up. Um, I'm all, I'm hanging on the side of a mountain. It's about 1030. I'm only halfway up. Uh, I take a quick breather, check my weather. And it's showing that within the next 45 to an hour, the storm's going to roll in. Um, I can kind of feel it in the air that it's coming. So now at this point, I'm thinking, okay, how bad's this ankle? You know, I mean, is this, can you, are you going to be able to get out of here? Are you not? Is it broke? Is it just rolled really bad? Um, didn't want to take my boot off because I had it laced up really tight and, and just kind of figured that that would act as kind of like a splint. So I was just like, all right, well, you know, you hate to ever think about an SOS button on your inReach, but I'm not going to lie. There was a time where at that moment, I'm just like, all right, you got two little guys at home. Like, are you going to be able to get out of here safely now with this ankle or not? Um, started moving around, started kind of climbing again. It didn't feel terrible, definitely a lot of pain, but definitely wasn't broke. Um, just made the judgment call that I was going to keep going, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. That I just I, I felt like I could get up out of there. Took me about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> pretty scared, not going to lie. I'm kind of glad it was in the dark because I could only see what my headlamp was showing me. Anytime I took a breather, I never looked down, um, you know, I, I probably in the daylight, it, it would probably have been worse. Um, just looking around and seeing actually how steep and, and how gnarly some of that shit was. Um, when I came back the next day, I got to see it firsthand and I was definitely in, in some stuff I shouldn't have been in. <laughs> Thankfully, finally, long story short, I got to the top. Um, I got there with about 20 minutes to spare. Before the storm hit, was able to get down the other side and get into some sparse timber, rode the storm out. Um, I never actually let the ankle rest just from knowing what I know. Even when the storm was hitting, I was like walking around in circles around this, this pine tree that I was huddled up on because I did not want that ankle to basically get stiff on me. Um, got back to camp about four in the morning. I think it was, I was actually like around 3.45. It was a little before four because I texted or I messaged I messaged you and I messaged my dad and I remember saying, I'll, 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 I'll let you guys know when I wake up in the morning. Cause I, I had told both you guys that I was in, it was going to be a really steep, really rugged pack out. And, and I'd let you know when I got back to camp, well, that ended up being seven hours later. So I remember getting up a few hours. I didn't sleep worth a shit just cause that ankle was throbbing. And I mean, I was eating Tylenol like they were Skittles, but it wasn't helping anything. I needed to get it on ice. So I woke up early, got half my camp um, packed up with the meat and started hobbling out. Um, took me pretty much the entire day, which should have been about six hours. Took me about nine and a half hours to get out of there. Got to town, got ice, got it iced. Um, 
And then, yeah, I had to start making plans to basically find somebody to go in with me the next day. Uh, luckily, ran into a guy, ran into a guy at a little uh, pizzeria bar place that night in town that had a buddy that does some rock climbing back there and knew exactly where my buck was, knew exactly where I was at, just from describing the basin I was in. He had been back there. So I was like, well, if you want to make some money, I, I definitely am going to need someone to help me get the rest of this buck in my camp out because on a bum ankle, there was just no way I was going to be able to put all that weight on it. So needless to say, the adventure really wasn't killing the buck. The adventure was actually getting my buck, my bow, and my camp back to my truck the next day. Um, long story short, lot to take away from it. Um, you know, definitely shouldn't have strayed away from my plan A that I had already done in the, in the daylight and kind of knew the route was trying to save some time. Um, that definitely didn't work out. Uh, you know, was able to stay calm, um, after having my fall and, and knowing that my ankle was busted up. I mean, I, I, I was proud of myself for kind of keeping in the game mentally and not freaking out. Um, but I think it just goes to show that, you know, that, that is real danger that can happen out there. And I mean, in the blink of an eye, it can go from being, I was on cloud nine to killing this great buck to holy shit. Am I going to be able to get out of here um, and still be walking, you know, whenever I actually do get up to the top or am I even going to be able to get to the top without falling down 600 feet to my death? So yeah, it was full of up and downs and adventure. And that's exactly what I like. And I drew another Colorado high country tag, so I'll be back this year, but going to try to stay away from uh, <laughs> half killing myself if I can. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I, your call, when you call, so for everyone listening, Clint yeah. called me on his way back when he was going to his truck. So that, that first day, yeah. well, after he rode out the storm, got out of the cliffs, he called me, and yeah. he sounded like a dead man talking, and that's not an oh, exaggeration. Yeah. Like Clint is, as you can hear him on podcasts, he's very enthusiastic and always you know positive and all this stuff and you were in a bad place for i mean rightfully so like you were in a very bad mental place your body was beat up and like you were because you called me you're like hey i know your brother lives in colorado is there any way like i could get a hold of him to come help me get this buck out and my brother happened to be hunting mule deer or he was already in the backcountry somewhere so he wasn't available and, you know, I'm like trying to find people. I'm looking things up for you. And then you ended up running into that guy. Um, but it was a scary, yeah. like I'm I'm sitting, you know, at my office at work getting this call. And like, like I feel feeling helpless. Like I couldn't help you at all. But it was, you were in a very, very tough place, you know. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was a good experience for me because it, it, it shows how quick, um, shit can hit the fan for lack of a better term, um, in the back country. And I mean, I've never experienced that. I've heard Brian talk about it. I've heard a lot of my buddies talk about it. And that was kind of my first real, like, you know, Oh shit moment back there by myself. So, I mean, it was, um, it definitely showcased kind of you know, like how quick things can go sideways and, and you've got to be able to, to keep your cool and, and mentally work through some of these situations. And two, three years ago, honestly, I don't think I would have been mentally tough enough to maybe have handled that situation the same. Um, 
not saying I wouldn't have got out of it, but I, I really think I would have been a lot more freaked out and, and would have had a whole different perspective on kind of where I was at at that moment in time versus this fourth year. I was like, okay, this is not good. We know that, but you know, okay, let's check the ankle. Let's, let's get our grip here for a second. Let's check the weather. Um, okay. You can walk. Can you get out of here? Yes. Okay. Now we're going to tighten up the chin strap and we're going to make it out of here. And that's all there is to it. And it was, it was kind of a very deliberate mindset of, you're not dying on the side of this mountain. You finally killed this freaking mule deer. You got to get it the hell out of here. You got to get yourself out of here. Like it's, this is not how it's supposed to end. <laughs> so it's kind of one of those moments where it was like, uh, you know, uh, I was getting tested again. Um, as if I wasn't tested enough in those four years, but yeah, it was, it was like one, one final test. Okay. We're going to let Clint kill this big mule deer buck. Now let's see if he can get himself off the mountain in one piece. So but yeah, made for a good story, makes for a good podcast, definitely something <laughs> that uh, <laughs> I'll never forget. And um, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, um, I've never really heard you worried um, or, or have ever really talked to you and felt like you were in, in a, a type of panic. But I do remember hanging up the phone and, and thinking, you know, man, I, I hope I didn't like ruin Bo's day because you, you were definitely very distraught over I felt like a parent what I, was telling I felt you. like a parent like I've, yeah, I've yeah, never yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. I don't have any kids <laughs> but like I felt like that was as close as you could get to like I was I was yeah. sincerely like worried and I know you were able to you know handle your own but it's it, and if it would have been anybody else I would have probably been even more worried just not just from the standpoint of that I know that you are a very capable person and you been in scenarios you know before and you you keep a pretty calm head which is what you need in that scenario i remember a hunt in colorado when i was hunting elk um up in the high country and i watched these elk come out and they were feeding up like in between these bands of rock cliffs and so they did that one night the next day we were planning on going up there my my it was me and my dad and as i started getting up there I realized it was a lot steeper than I anticipated from what I saw from the valley floor. And I had a full camp on my back because I was planning on, if I didn't, if they didn't come out in that spot, I was planning on just staying up there. So I didn't have to, to hike down and then back up the next day. But anyways, I got up there and I, I'm not a huge fan of heights. Like I've got, I've had to get used to it. I've had to learn like from the first year in Colorado, what I thought was bad to now is different. My mindset's different, but I go, I was there and I remember looking below me and there's like thousands of feet of nothing. And, you know, I'm like in some like shale rock and, you know, there's cliffs and all this stuff. And I hit like a panic mode where my body shut down and I couldn't walk. Like I felt like I just had to just, oh, yeah. and I couldn't, it was it wasn't even good to go back the way I came. Like I had to just keep doing it, but it was a it was a portion where I was like, I had to really calm myself down and not panic because I was starting to go into a panic mode, and it's it's a scary it's a scary thing. Yeah, I mean when when the adrenaline gets going in a situation where you're scared or it's a scary frightening thing, it's way different than the typical adrenaline rush that we live for, which is, Oh shit, here comes a big buck or, Oh shit, here comes a big bull or 
whatever, like that, that's on the other end of the <laughs> spectrum. And it, it's a different, it's a very different adre- adrenaline dump that you get. And that's one thing that hunting, and I always relate hunting to life, but when that, that's something that's taught me so many things of when a situation gets bad and your emotions take over again, this applies to everything in life. You need to, before you make an action, you need to you need to be able to think about it and have a, a somewhat of a clear head to respond to it, not to react. It's the same thing if you're oh, in yeah. a tree stand and a buck's coming in, a big, you know, the buck you've been after, he's coming in. You don't just like hurry up and grab your bow and like, you know, you have to think it through. Okay, is do I wait? I got to wait until he goes behind this tree. And you just got to, you got to really think through your, your situations rather than, panicking or like when you were climbing up those rock cliffs if you just been like oh 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 shit like I, I just gotta go and then you just start making decisions without thinking them through it, it could have put you in a way worse spot which you were in a, a really bad spot but you, you know what i mean oh yeah no i mean it was i don't think i've ever been that mentally drained because every every foothold every handhold that i had like you know, it was a thought out, okay, I'm going to move my hand here, move my foot here. We're going to move a foot this way. We're going to regroup. We're going to go another foot. I mean, it was literally like the slowest moving motion I've ever had to do, but a constant two, three hours of doing this to get up out of there. Like I've never been that mentally drained because I had to focus so hard on what I was doing. Cause I knew in the back of my mind, in those rocks at that elevation, one false move and you go tumbling down. Like I had watched my mule deer do six hours previous. I knew what that would mean for me. I mean, that's it. Like you're not, you're not as tough as that and, mule deer, unfortunately. Bruh. <laughs> I mean, you'd be laying up there either dead or wishing you were dead because you'd be probably paralyzed. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it was the focus and the the mental edge um, in that moment was definitely two things that I had to lean on was just focusing in on what I was doing and, and, you know, making sure, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. Those, those moments with those types of adrenaline dumps are way different than what we're used to, but, uh, they make for a hell of a story with a uh, campfire and some beers for later on. Though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's so true, man. That, that hunt, like I said, you, you had me pumped cause I didn't leave for my old hunt then you you'd killed yours at the beginning right. of September and I had it like a week or so before yep. I was leaving. And I'll tell you what, it definitely gave me like, not that I needed any more motivation, but it gave me that, like just that thing like this, this can happen. And you know, it can happen to anybody, not just you or I, you work for something long enough. You're going to put yourself in a place where you can have that success and come from this, from the scouting, from the physical preparation, from, you know, just, all the screw ups you've had in learning from those, like that's just, that's what everything about hunting is for me. And, and getting to do that, it makes for the story of a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't want to change realistically how it went down. Um, like I said, I mean, even, even the end, which was really sketchy and, and, and a, a lot of scary moments on the mountain, but honestly, I mean, I learned a lot from that and, and it's, it's, it's given me another kind of like hook to hang my hat on. Like if I'm ever in a similar situation where it's, it's a scary kind of a touch and go deal, I can lean on that experience and be like, all right, you got yourself out of that. You can get yourself out of this. You know, here's what you did. Here's what you got to do now. 
stay calm, figure out what your plan is, and, you know, and then execute and focus on it. So, I mean, it's, it was bad, but it was good. You know, I mean, I try to take the positive out of everything and the positive in that scenario was I made some, some vital mistakes that I need to correct, but I also can lean on kind of my physical ability and my mental ability to get me out of a scenario like that. I mean, if I can get out of that, I could damn near probably get out of about anything. So it's, it's kind of like your ace in the hole. You can kind of lean on now a little bit, but it would be nice if I just don't have to really, you know, relive that for a while and just not have to kind of go back to that. But if I ever do, you know, I mean, I, I guess I'll, <laughs> I'll be prepared more, more so than I was, but we'll see. You never really know on adventure bow hunts, what's going to happen. And that's kind of that mystique that always keeps me coming back for more and more and more is, uh, there's adventure at every turn. There's no doubt. Awesome. Well, Clint, I think that's a, I think that's enough information for this podcast here. So where can people find some information on you, some of the articles you've been written, anything else that, that you can think of there? Because, you know, you're, you're always, your posts on Instagram and stuff are always great and one motivating, uplifting. And at the same time, like whenever you talk, you're right. There's so many things that you can learn from it. I mean, you truly have your knowledge comes from experience and putting yourself there. So give a little bit of a, where people can find you. Yeah. Really appreciate that, buddy. Uh, yeah. Instagram Casper Clint, just last name, first name I'll put together. Um, Clint Casper on Facebook. Like I said, I write full time for Peterson's bow hunting. Um, typically every issue I'm in, uh, you can see my ugly mug in there. Um, podcast wise, I mean, you know, definitely do a lot of podcasting with Bo and, um, all the, all the bros and buddies over at working class bow hunter, my buddy, Brian Barney over at Eastman's elevated, um, you know, do quite a work with, with all those guys and, and different ones here and there in the podcast world. Um, blogs and stuff for Bo and, and again, over at Working Class Bow Hunter, you know, I, I, I love kind of getting the, I like the blogs because it's kind of a condensed, like, you know, tech tip usually type of, um, you know, 800 to 1,000 words, kind of a, a condensed article, if you will, with a few pictures, but I can get kind of technical on stuff. So I really enjoy doing those and still try to do quite a bit of those. But uh, yeah, I definitely try to write as much as I can. That's definitely my passion is talking and, and writing about bow hunting and, uh, you know, I got, uh, got the kiddos Easton's four and Keaton's one and a half. So next year, um, Keaton, or, uh, Easton's probably going to have a crossbow in his hands here in Ohio and be able to get in the whitetail woods. So definitely looking forward to that. We've been running cameras and doing food plot stuff and getting, getting prepped up for uh, deer season now. So they've been, uh, riding along and helping me, helping me with that. So yeah, just, uh, living the life definitely couldn't, uh, couldn't have scripted it any, uh, any better that's for sure <laughs> yeah that's that's awesome man well clint thanks for coming on we'll uh we'll as always we'll be talking again i'm sure and as as more adventures come up this fall we'll uh, we'll have some more to talk about absolutely my man looking forward to catching up uh after i get that in reach message uh for whenever you go out to uh alaska and get get something killed so that's that's gonna be fun uh, i can't wait buddy <laughs> all right we'll talk to you clint all right, thanks, Bo. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.